great gowns, beautiful gowns. And I'm Chelsea Fairless, and welcome back to the last and just like that recap episode. I can't believe that this is the end. I know. This episode is once again brought to you by Zip. Zip is a leading global buy now, pay later app accepted at thousands of retailers in store and online, which allows you to pay for your purchases over time. Yeah, I think I'll be using Zip to buy an Eiffel Tower purse to carry my spouse's ashes in. Ashes sold separately. And later on, we're going to chat with the MVP of this episode, Miss Hari Neff. But first, we're going to respond to some calls. Hey, every outfit. It's Jason Rogers. I just had a few notes on the final episode of And Just Like That. I think that Samantha's text messages are holding the most true to her original character than any of the other writing on the show. I also think that Jackie's surprise wedding was in the same place that the first season of Girls had and that Rock is somehow turning into Cousin Greg from Succession. I love a caller that hits a bunch of points very quickly. Yeah, Samantha did have some very good lines in her text messages in this episode. Yeah, but I do feel like if Carrie wrote, uh, I kissed a man, Samantha would have written where and not the first of many. But that's just me. Yeah, Samantha was pretty bitchy when Carrie's like, can we talk? And it was just like, soon. Anyway, girls, yes. I too thought about the scene in Girls where Jessa has a surprise wedding because the venue does look very similar, although I do not believe that it is the same venue. One thing to note about wedding venues in Brooklyn is that they all have exposed brick. Like you literally (laughs) can't get married in Brooklyn without doing so in front of an exposed brick wall. Like it's just not possible. Is Rock Cousin Greg from Succession? I love this idea. I don't know, just in the sense of like kind of bumbling and inadvertently ruins everything for those near and dear to their hearts. Maybe. I mean, I think Rock needs some discipline. You haven't watched uh, the third season of Succession. but yeah, I I'm c- behind, so I can't really speak to this question. But I, I could see Rock suing Greenpeace to get their inheritance back, which is a plot point in season three of Succession. <laughs> Next call. Hi, y'all. Okay. I, um, I'm Demi from Colorado. I agree that this series has so much storyline with Flash. It just, but I'm also confused that if Carrie supposedly records the podcast every week with Che, why has there not been a conversation? We've never seen Carrie talk to Che at all about her relationship with Miranda. And this isn't just like a fling relation. Like Miranda is divorcing her husband. Yes, you would think that we would get a conversation One thing that strikes me about the Che, Miranda, Carrie triangle is that they didn't do anything fun with it at all. And an example of something fun would be like, for example, did you watch that season of The L Word where Sybil Shepard played Bette's boss and then Alice started dating Sybil Shepard? I vaguely remember this. That was amazing because there were all these wonderful comedic scenes and like scenarios where like, Bet said she had to work, but Alice wanted her to go out. And Alice was like, I'm going to force Sybil because she's your boss to make you go out and hang out with me, which was fun. Yeah, but you're confusing. Sex in the City is a comedy. And just like that is a dramedy, heavy drums. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, it is true to life because you and I don't talk at all outside of the podcast. We know nothing about each other's personal lives, and it, we only learn about each other through this podcast now. Uh, it's true. So, you know what? I co-sign. There is truth in that art. But yes, caller, it's insane. <laughs> it is nearly 10 hours of a story where a major plot point is a friend who knows someone for 30 years and works with someone else is kind of the conduit to the breakup of their marriage. Right. Season two, perhaps? Is Che coming back for season two? Hi, ladies. My name is Kelly, and I'm a huge fan of the podcast. Um, Where the fuck is Aiden? Okay, that's it. Thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, Michael Patrick King did an interview where he's demanding that John Corbett write apologies to every single one of us because he went rogue and said that he was in the series when he wasn't. Do you think he did that just to create a fan reaction? So in the hopes that they would write him in? Because that just seems very dark. No, it reminded me of something that Michael Shannon did in regards to the sequel to Superman. Michael Shannon was the villain. Oh, God. Is this nerd shit again? It is kind of funny, and I think this is what John Corbett did, was Michael Shannon was the villain in the first Superman film and got asked for years afterwards, was he in the sequel? And so he just made up a lie where he said, oh, yeah, when they brought me on set and I was in the web suit and, like, everyone went crazy, he was purely lying. So I kind of think that John Corbett, because he knew he was going to get asked about this show, was just like, yeah, I'm in it. Just as, like, a fuck you. Seems weird. But anyway, I never thought I'd be disappointed that Aiden isn't back, <laughs> but here we are. And lastly... Hi, ladies. Allison Bree here. Long-time listener, first-time caller, big fan, as you know. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts on And Just Like That, but I'm really just calling with one point. In the first scene of the finale, when Carrie, Che, and Jackie are discussing their worst breakups on their show, I thought it was a real missed opportunity that Carrie once again brought up her husband dying rather than the time she was broken up with on a post-it note. Our number one stand, Allison Bree. We love you. Yeah, I love that she called us. Many people called us about this, but we give priority to our favorite celebrities. So I'm sorry. <laughs> so this episode starts with what turns out to be the last X, Y, and Me episode, Praise Jesus. They're talking about breakups. And when Carrie is asked about her worst breakup, she says big she references the fact that Big died yet again. Well, you do know we're almost at the year anniversary of Big's death. How could I forget? I want to ask you, is death the ultimate breakup? No, death is not a breakup. Those who die usually aren't doing it intentionally. A breakup is very intentional. This is an example of something that people that watch Sex in the City are conditioned to have this thought right? When the worst breakup is brought up, the post-it automatically comes into pops into our head. It happened to what feels like almost everyone who watched this episode. So to be set up for something fun and then to have the payoff be something not only depressing, but redundant is a bit of a bummer for the audience. Well, again, to Carrie's point, does she win best breakup ever? Because her husband died on her? I think not. Well, also, it's kind of weird because, like, let's say that this podcast was real. Like, the conversation stops once you bring up your dead husband. Like, you don't bring up your dead husband just for the sake of the conversation. 
Yeah, where was the scene afterwards where Che pulls Carrie aside and is like, look, what I said, you need to step your pussy up. This is the opposite of what I meant. It's like they have amnesia about certain things from the original series. Yeah, but we, the audience, do not have amnesia because we continue to watch this show obsessively. Also, live calls on a podcast? Question mark? Wait, that's, was that in this scene? Yeah, the person is calling about a breakup and Carrie goes, who wants to talk to a winner? And then looks at her producer and he's like, that's another weird moment. He goes, "Uh, we don't have any more calls. And then the scene just ends. Well, there are live calls in some podcasts, like occasionally Dan Savage calls someone, but I think it's a rare thing. It's something that the audience certainly associates more with radio. And the look of their podcast and that set has always looked like a radio studio because those of us that do podcasts understand that you are in someone's bedroom on a couch. We are currently at my dining room table. Right. Or you're in like a studio, like a recording booth. Yeah. You're not in like an open office. You're not in the NPR office. (laughs) Look, there were things that I really liked about this episode, but those things were not at the top of this episode. So Carrie goes on the third date with the teacher. Is it technically the second date because she canceled the second date? I don't know. It's the third date in my mind. Um, And yeah, they have no chemistry. It continues to be sad and depressing. They have a lackluster kiss. Carrie is turned off because... He says, I'd like to kiss you. Is that okay? Which is a buzzkill, but it doesn't have to be. To go back a second before the kiss, I don't want to sound like the resident millennial, but like everyone Googles everyone before they go on a date with them. Certainly before the third date, you've Googled this person. Yeah. But it's like the most novel thing that's ever happened. It just struck me during this episode. Do you think that guy looks like Burger a bit? Kind of. He has a similar energy. I don't know. I've had a guy ask me if he could kiss me before he kissed me and it was hot. Like it doesn't have to be weird and clinical. Yeah. You you deliver that in like a a breathy like rasp. Like you whisper it in someone's ear sexily. You know. You want to do it? Tell. Okay. I'm definitely not going to do it. But yes, that's my line. Like when the Andrew Cuomo sexual harassment allegations came out and it was revealed that he said, can I kiss you to one of his subordinates? I was like, I've literally said that more than once. I didn't want to say anything, but I, I am aware that that's kind of your move. Yeah. Well, again, I think it's all, it's all in the delivery. And if there's no chemistry, then of course it does come off as being sad. And, uh... and also she canceled the second date. She's giving off serious friend vibes. Like, I'm sorry, but I'm on this teacher's side. Yeah. Although to be fair, it would have almost been better if she was like, no, I'm good. I'm just not feeling it. Or she could cry in his mouth again. (laughs) When did she cry in someone's mouth? She cried in the Yankees' mouth. Oh, yeah. But blessedly, we cut to Seema, who is living her best life with the Prada salesman who evidently isn't the Prada salesman. Yeah, she's smoking cigarettes. She's eating caviar. She's fucking that guy. They're They're on the smoking floor. I love this for her. I love this for us, the audience, which... 
is really starved for that sort of sexy, extravagant 1% shit. Like the reasons why we watch Sex in the City. Again, why do you want fun from this show? The show isn't about fun. Well, they, they gave us a window into a world of fun that I would like to explore further. I do want a show with Seema's version of New York. I want Seema in the city. Yeah, give her a spinoff. Very reasonably, Seema asks, how did the date go? To which Carrie says, that's too simple of a question for what I experienced. This is a very Carrie statement. But it makes it seem like she's about to go into some very Isabelle Huppert-esque transgressive sexual act. Like you had a tepidly good date. Yeah. She describes the the kiss as awkward and nervous, which I didn't really get. I didn't just, get either. Yeah. I didn't get it either. I thought it was like just kind of like, okay. I mean, it seemed like pretty aligned with their entire relationship thus far. Yeah, it, um, it felt like, you know, two cousins kissing each other or something. Right. But, you know, she said that she was turned off by the kiss and asking for consent and blah, blah, blah. You know why I think she didn't like the kiss? She didn't feel that Zaza Zoo. I know. There was no Zaza Zoo. So then the ghost of Big is infuriated by this kiss. (laughs) This fucking light. It felt very similar to the beeping situation in... That we never got a resolution to. (laughs) We never got a resolution to either of these. I would just love a cut to the person that's now residing in Carrie's apartment just being like, where is that coming from? (laughs) Carrie's just surrounded with faulty appliances. (laughs) Wherever she goes. Because she doesn't take care of things. And then we go to the diner scene with the OG girls... Right. Miranda kind of bullies Carrie for believing in the afterlife and heaven, etc. When Miranda said that she had an issue about Big being in heaven, I thought what she meant was like, obviously he's in purgatory, if not hell. And that's like the issue she took with it. (laughs) It was also interesting that Charlotte was the one that was pro heaven because she's Jewish and Jews don't believe in that shit. I mean, she's still, you know. she's still a supportive friend. She, and she's also a Protestant at heart. <laughs> yeah, Miranda is stunned that Carrie now believes in the afterlife because she's upset of like, we agreed, which is that something friends do? Are we supposed to agree, you and I, if we believe in an afterlife or not? Or else we got to stop being friends? Well, it's like you might agree, but then the second your husband died and you're just clinging on to any fucking hope. The actual applicable time to mention my opinion change you know when after my husband died i'm shocked that miranda is shocked that carrie now believes in the afterlife or is so upset that carrie has changed her opinion when miranda's whole story arc this season has been about demanding everyone else be okay with her radically changing her point of view in life at times in incredibly destructive ways Yeah, it felt a little weird. Um, Then Charlotte discusses the trans rabbi that she's secured for the they mitzvah, as you do. Benai mitzvah, as we know. I'm just saying they mitzvah because this is like the 50th time Charlotte used that terminology in this particular episode. There was something that kind of didn't sit right with me about the phrase, like, who better to lead a them mitzvah than a trans rabbi? It's like... 
it does feel like it may have been written by a bot. Whatever we have to do to get Hari Neff on this show. But yes, they could have just called it a benign mitzvah. Like that I don't understand. This is also where Miranda tells the girls that Che has invited her to dinner with their family. Well, to meet their family. To meet their family. But that's kind of a big step, which again, it didn't seem at every moment, Che's actions seem like they're going to bounce at any second. And then each following episode, the relationship has been ratcheted up. No, totally. It's like they're drawing Miranda in and giving them this sort of intimacy, but then pulling back in these very obvious cliche ways. Oh, you mean like a fuckboy? Yeah. So... We have the Carrie and Sam texting scene, which we talked about with the call. I still stand by the fact that I think Samantha would have asked where she kissed this man. Then she goes to the lamp store wearing some suspenders. Yeah, she looked like Gallagher to me. The 1970s prop comedian Gallagher. Uh, But she did have that fabulous Gucci bag again. She did. She did. I don't know. There was like a moment with the with the man that fixed the lamps that I that felt odd. We didn't need this lamp stuff. This lamp stuff did not have to be here for us to get to I'm scattering Big's ashes in Paris. Well, I guess it's supposed to lay the groundwork for the dream sequence where it's like suddenly the film become. What does the lamp have to do with the dream? She could have just had the dream. Right. But I think it's supposed to signify that Carrie's kind of in a place where she's looking for signs and signals. And uh, I don't know. I'm trying, Chelsea. (laughs) I don't need another side character, which is the guy that works at the lamp store, Lauren. Well, more my confusion is there are two characters that work at this shop (laughs) She talks to both of them and it's like, well, couldn't you just have the guy fixing the lamp? Why do you need his front of office man? (laughs) So Anthony has made Hot Fellas Holla, which is sourdough, as Harry rudely dubs it, hipster Hipster holla. holla. Yeah. Because he's afraid that the benign mitzvah with the trans rabbi is just too progressive and that the sourdough is going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back. Yes. As he says, can we please give old Jews something they'd recognize? (laughs) The radiant Hari Neff comes in in an outfit that looks like a cross between present day Gucci and Shelley Duvall as (laughs) olive oil in the live action Popeye. And, you know, she gives it to him straight. Rock sucks. <laughs> Rock's Torah game is not on point. Look, the whole series has been made up of narrative conveniences. So, like, why try to pick apart another one? But, like, I'm sorry, it does not track that Charlotte would be in the dark up until now that Rock hasn't memorized anything. Yeah. Well, we have to suspend our disbelief about this. Yeah, I guess this is to lay the groundwork, one, for the story of this episode, but two, for Anthony to do his uh, tough love gay uncle routine. Yeah, where he he really pulls out the big guns with that killer guys and dolls reference. So now we have Che's soiree. Miranda thinks that she's meeting the family, but really she's just subjected to a Beach Boys cover. What to even say about this scene? Like, how (laughs) Miranda doesn't get the ick from not just seeing Che spontaneously sing, which, as you know, worse fear, but is singing as a preamble to announce that they are moving to Los Angeles. Yeah, I actually really liked that they were like, I'm not going to subject you to my stand-up. What I'm going to do is much, much worse. And it's like, correct. 
Look, the thing is, Sada Ramirez can sing, but this choice of song makes no sense, especially because there was so much Hello, It's Me in this episode as well. And those songs are associated with a generation that is not represented in And Just Like That. Not that these aren't great songs. It just feels a little strange in this world, right? It is true, but we did watch this together. We stayed up until... Yeah, this is the first episode we did watch together. Which I had to watch again. I mean, I watch these episodes twice always, but every time that I've stayed up to watch it, it feels like a fever dream where I'm like, did that actually happen? Yeah, I wake up the next day and I'm like, did I see Che Diaz sing California Girls? But we did spend 20 minutes at one in the morning being like, what should have Che sung instead? And you were like, Phantom Planets, California. (laughs) Well, if it has to be a California song, because... Joni Mitchell's California would be even more terrible than the Beach Boys, right? Yeah. Lana Del Rey's California, too depressing. (laughs) Katy Perry's California Girls, maybe? Yeah. I would have loved a medley of California Girls (laughs) going into California Girls. Shay would love Phantom Planets, California. And can you imagine if we heard that piano come in? They're like, wait, hold up. I have something to sing. (laughs) Could you imagine if the camera just pushed in on Miranda as Che was singing and you just saw on Cynthia's face just like, oh, I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> and Miranda just walked out. <laughs> also, Miranda portrays to Charlotte and Carrie that it's like I'm meeting their family. But Che has evidently invited their entire friend group. I would be fucking pissed off. Yeah. Well, this isn't really how you tell people that you've booked a pilot. Like you share the deadline article on Instagram like a normal person. You email it to your fucking grandmas. Miranda very correctly notes that they had time to plan a band, text all of their friends and rehearse, but evidently not tell Miranda privately. That I really liked. And then Shay's like excuses like, what can I say? I'm a fucking narcissist or whatever. Yeah. The subtext is text. They said the quiet part out loud. I'm a narcissist, but hey, don't focus on that damning self-report. I love you, so it's all good, right? Okay, so also, like, if Tony Danza is playing their dad... And this is filmed in front of a studio audience. Then we're meant to believe that Che Diaz is the star of a network sitcom. Like Che is getting ABC family coin. Not just a network sitcom, a multicam sitcom. Because later Miranda's explaining, oh, the tapings on this day. Which a show like A Sex and the City, anything that's not a multicam basically has a seven to ten day shooting schedule. Multicam shoot one day. Just to go back, there is a moment that I loved Cynthia Nixon's performance when Chase sings, you get the idea, and Miranda goes, no, no, not really. As always, Cynthia's acting is perfect. Is flawless. I also really do not like this gotcha dialogue, right? It started in the first episode with those Samantha's no longer with us. And now we have Che teeing up that they're leaving Miranda. And then they're like, oh, and I want you to come with me. And then we get it one more time with Big's brother, where he's like, where's my brother? Yeah. Where's John? (laughs) John died. (laughs) Okay, so then we go to the next scene where... Because that's the other thing, is Che has invited their friend group, but I guess that doesn't include Jackie or Carrie. Um, Yeah, so X, Y, and me is over. I mean... Okay, this isn't a thing. Well, yeah, because when you have a successful podcast and you book a pilot, you don't throw away your consistent source of income for something that may or may not be picked up. 
Also, you have ad buys that go through a quarter. Like, you can't just spontaneously decide to shut it down, especially when two other people are involved. And thirdly, as we have done, as you guys have heard the past few episodes, it's the easiest thing you can do remotely. Yeah. And it's not even like our podcast where I have to edit this thing. Like, Che just throws down some opinions and then pieces out of there. And someone else, it's someone else's problem. Yeah, I mean, this was one of a few things in this episode where the logic behind it just wasn't there. So it didn't really feel as impactful as it could have because mentally I'm scrambling to justify how this would be the plot. And it's clearly all just to lay the groundwork of Carrie getting her own podcast, but fine. Everyone is way too chill about this. Like yeah. Jackie and Carrie are sort of like, okay, all, all the best. Like, if you one day decided to piece out the podcast, I'd be like, we have audio erotica ads to do, to do Chelsea, until April. Chelsea, we have this Green Chef stuff. Chelsea, we have Zip ads. How dare you fuck me like this? Chelsea, I need you to make this zi- the audiogram for this Zip ad. Obviously, this did not sit right with us because to watch, even if it's a fictional character, have the cushiest podcast job and leave it is very upsetting. I'm like, you don't even have to sound mix. You don't have to produce anything. You just show up and clearly you don't prepare. Yeah. And if you did, you'd smoke. You've smoked so much weed that you wouldn't remember your research anyway. I believe you mean done so much weed. Yeah. Okay, so then we have Jackie and Carrie on the street. I have to say, I know we make fun of the side characters of the side characters, but I think they've got something going. Like, I actually, I'm not even joking. I do like the Bobby Lee and Sarah Jessica Parker's chemistry together. Okay. And look, I love a reference to the 1993 Jeff Bridges vehicle Fearless as much as the next person. (laughs) But like, Jackie's basically like, yeah, she fucked up my life. Yeah. And then it's like, just kidding. I don't care about this. Oh, also, are you coming to this quote unquote party of smoke and eyes? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we had to set up the surprise nuptials. Which we all. Between also- Bobby and our favorite <laughs> side character of the side character, Smoke, the fashion designer. Also, did you find it odd that Carrie refers to Jackie instead of being like hey we're kind of work acquaintances I'd like to be friends she goes I don't think we should just be site specific friends yeah I know like it's a site specific Donald Judd installation or something (laughs) like it's a it's a site specific Jenny Holzer yeah I feel like Carrie would want this friendship with Jackie until she learns that he lives in Long Island City and she's like oh no we'll (laughs) never see each other again So now we have a scene with Miranda Hobbs and Nia Wallace. Miranda Hobbs, who does not get an A minus. I thought you were going to say, if you've watched the And Just Like That documentary, Miranda's would-be love interest, Nia Wallace. I know, which I was shipping, remember? Actually, I love your thoughts on this. Would queer people want to see two straight women of a certain age getting it on and discovering their sexuality? you, you You could have made Nia a dyke. Yeah. But I do think it's cool that they put Miranda with someone that's gender nonconforming or butch as Cynthia described. Yeah, it's Sada. just Yeah, it's just unfortunate that Cynthia has more chemistry with Karen Pittman than Sada. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> or has media just broken my brain that I have to put two straight vaguely straight people together? 
Well, okay. One thing, though, is that, like, yes, the character of Nia Wallace makes more sense if this is also Miranda's love interest, because otherwise there's just not that much going on with this plot, with this character. There isn't a plot. Yeah. The only plot is that they're friends and they do little walk and talks, you know, every other episode. So Miranda's there to explain that they are going to finish. She's going to finish her semester remotely. Right. She's backing out of her highly coveted internship at Human Rights Watch, which this is another thing that I've been meaning to talk about that we haven't talked about. And we've gotten a few calls from lawyers about this, which is that if you are a lawyer, especially if you're Miranda, you're a partner in a law firm and you want to practice a different kind of law, you simply get a different job. Like in Miranda's case, she could just get a job at the ACLU or something. She doesn't need to go back to school and she certainly does not need to be a 55-year-old woman with an internship. Someone else also called him was like, can we talk about the fact that Miranda Hobbs is basically Jerry Blank from Strangers with Candy, which I think is hilarious because she is a recovering alcoholic who has to go back to school and has a seemingly flimsy grasp on the world around her. I think this person also was making the point that aesthetically they're very similar with like an all-brown outfit and large brown backpack. Like, it would be one thing if Miranda was switching careers entirely, right? She wants to be a neurosurgeon and she has to go back to school. But it does not make sense. And this is another thing, like Che quitting the podcast, that just simply does not make sense. Anyway, also Naya reveals that her and Andre are basically separating. He's going on that tour. Remember in the first episode when you're introduced to Andre and he says that uh, he wants to see if they're trying for a baby because he might be going on tour? Well, he's going on that tour. The tour is happening. And yeah, this continues to be a bummer, you know, like Naya's fab, but it's just kind of like a joyless plot line, which yes, may be true to life, but maybe isn't the most satisfying use of this particular actress talking about not joyous things and then we get rick rolled into thinking that maybe big's brother has alzheimer's like what (laughs) i know i'm like don't make jokes about dementia i cannot handle one more thing we've discussed the side characters to the side characters but when you show me side characters family members like even ltw's mother-in-law who is our favorite but every time now i am reminded we have never met carrie's mother okay i know i know well it's also like we didn't really need to have this character come in and be like oh we want to put him in the family crypt in connecticut just to get carrie again to paris It could have just been like, I've had Big's ashes in my closet for a year. Like, where am I going to put these? Like, how long am I going to keep him in a Barney's bag? Also, Big is from Connecticut. That checks out. Yeah, that's kind of the biggest reveal. Why would you wait a year to bring this up to ask where your brother is? I don't know. I mean, again, this, this didn't really need to happen, but it did. And she's like, I'm waiting for a sign. Excuse me, I have to pick up my light fixture. Anyway, the literal plot line that Jessa had at the end of the first season of Girls happens again. Yes. Adam Driver gets hit by a car afterwards. (laughs) If I was getting married and the officiant told me that you can kiss each other or do whatever will get the most likes on Instagram, I would straight up punch them in the face. 
that was a hard one to go down the gullet. Anyway, Carrie's producer is there and he tells her that you should have a podcast and that he would like to produce her, which I guess like Carrie making a living from only writing a column a week in the series, this is a guy that survives on producing a podcast a week. I'm sure he produces multiple podcasts. I don't get the sense that he too is out of a job. Yeah, he's going to make her the next Alex Cooper. All right, now we have the fucking dream sequence. Well, the ghost is back. Yeah, I mean, this dream sequence actually is Daddy MPK's answer to David Lynch. Uh, Yeah, this is when the series becomes that film to Julian on her 37th birthday. I don't think I've seen that for like 20 years. Same, but my memory is like, this is very similar to this. Anyway, obviously, this was the additional scene that Chris Noth had shot that they cut him from. I mean, this is if you watch the documentary, which I encourage everyone to do. It's a lot of hard knocks for SJP in this scene because there was a hat she wanted to wear desperately. Yes. That she could not wear. I don't understand the connection of. Okay, so she goes to Jackie and Smoke's wedding and she's wearing that dress. And then she has a dream and she's wearing the same dress, which is fine. But then she had already changed, though, and gotten into bed at that point. But then they put her back at Smoke and Jackie's wedding. That's the that's the scene that's in the preview that I thought, oh, she turns around and Aiden is there. But it's part of her dream sequence where she hears Big's voice, but she's gone to sleep. So why is she back at Smoke and Jackie's wedding? It's not like she's at their wedding and has a hallucination. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, maybe that would have been a a more interesting beat if, like, the punch was spiked with acid or something and she had a trip. (laughs) Oh, that would be cool. And we all microdose mushrooms. Yeah, then then Bobby's like, wait, I didn't tell you that there was acid in the punch? (laughs) Great. I would love that. Also, why Paris? Why it's still doesn't make it's their sense bridge it's their bridge you have to let it go maybe something has happened that we haven't seen but it's also so easy to maybe in the first episode instead of going to the hamptons which is a house we never see that they were going to go to paris or at some point she makes reference to the fact that every year they take a trip to paris and go back to their bridge i'm just asking for a line of dialogue yeah, you're right. You know, we also required a line of dialogue about <laughs> Charlotte's bat mitzvah. Like, oh, I wish I had had one or something. Well, that's about to happen in, in a second. But I still think that Carrie has had nothing but bad feelings about Paris. I understand that the writers and probably Sarah Jessica Parker herself love Paris and have such fond memories of shooting there to wrap up the show. But the character of Carrie didn't have a good time in Paris at all. Like, yes, Big comes and gets her. But like, if you remember those like weeks she's there before, she's miserable. I know we'll obviously get to this in a second, but when Carrie's like, I'm just going to go to Paris by myself, like, it's fine. It's like, no, (laughs) it's not fine. Yeah. And that's so weird that she's like, you know what? Now that Miranda doesn't want to come, like, actually, Charlotte, you're disinvited. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I know. Anyway, okay, we're getting ahead of ourselves. So now we're at the Benai Mitzvah. We were talking about this before. Carrie teases a girl's trip. And like, how dare the writers tease us with a girl's trip? I'm like, all right, I'm ready. I know the gals in Paris. It's like it feels like the rug is being 
pulled out from under you. It's like they're teasing something fun, but then the reveal is that, nope, it's even more depressing than you thought it would be. I think that should be your IMDb review for and just like that, but it's one of those that's like 10 out of 10, but it's like having the rug pulled out from under you. I Don't tease something that we want to see. Wait, what did you... It's the same thing with Cleveland. It's like, don't tease Cleveland and then just forget about Cleveland. What did you say to me a second ago? Baby, you just got to let it go. (laughs) So I think... I think Anthony has the best line of the episode as per usual, which is, I don't know if they're Jewish, but they're all cuts. Yeah. Uh, Love it. There are a lot of flamboyant hats. In this scene, LTW is rocking a crystal turban. Everyone is wearing rainbow yarmulkes, lest we forget that this is a queer inclusive event. But shouldn't they have the the (laughs) flag with the... You know, the ace colors and the you're right. It is not inclusive of uh, the entire community, but whatever. I mean, also, if you couldn't tell from the rainbow colored Jeff Lethem uh, archway, flower archways. So Rock doesn't want to do it. Someone needs to smack this kid. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I look. I'm basically an atheist, and honestly, after the last two years, I'm a nihilist at this point. However, I am not only baptized, I had a communion, and I'm confirmed in the Catholic Church. And when I was going through my confirmation as a teenager, I turned to my mother and said, you know I don't believe any of this, right? (laughs) And my... (laughs) And my mother shrugged and said, yeah, but it's just something our family does. It's tradition. And I went, okay. And I did the goddamn thing. And if my parents spent what this, this benign mitzvah looks to have cost conservatively fifty to $75,000, if my parents spent that on a party and I dipped out, they would never let me live it down. Yeah. Like how does it, how much does it cost to have a Dylan's candy bar <laughs> pop up at the temple? 12 grand at least is set up. You got to bring the candy. There's got to be a person operating it. Which uh, Jewish people have commented would not happen because this shit is not kosher and therefore would not be allowed to be consumed in this particular space. I'm sorry. There are certain buy-ins when you are a child of someone, okay? There is a social contract and you memorize the stuff and you do the thing and like I did, you make your commitment to Jesus Christ that you do not believe in. (laughs) So you get a nice dinner and presents and maybe it's the writing and maybe it's the acting but i don't get a sense that this is a political point rock just seems lazy yeah rock's just a little asshole (laughs) i mean again not the representation we need Although I totally see the point that Rock is trying to make, right? Rock is a kid. And now in this day and age, I think there is a lot of pressure for kids to label themselves and know what their pronouns are and all of these things where, you know, it's unfortunate that that pressure exists. So I get I get that. Like I get the sentiment behind it and the point that was trying to be made But at the same time, it just doesn't make sense because when you have this character not express this to their parents until the 11th hour, they come off as being a little privileged piece of shit. And also, it's not like Rock is like, I have been I have been reading Frederick Nietzsche and I don't believe in anything now, guys. But also Rock looked fabulous, I, I want to say. Rock looked, Rock's turned out a look. 
Cut back to Dylan's candy bar and Miranda asks Carrie for the dates for Paris because she's going to be in Los Angeles, but she wants to make it all work because it's important to her. To which Carrie says, don't do that. It's a 14 hour flight. Okay. These writers live in Los Angeles and I'm sure they've been to Paris. It is a 10 hour flight. It is not 14 hours. Mm, No, it's more like a 12 hour flight. I mean, I, I question the reality of this of this as well. So I Googled it. It is like an 11 hour and 45 minute flight. It could be a 14 hour flight if you have a layover at JFK, but no, it is, it is not a 14 hour flight. I guess I also researched this. It's exactly a 14 hour flight. If you take the Air Canada flight that has a layover in Montreal. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Again, why are we doing the research and no one seemingly involved in writing this show is I'm genuinely confused anyway. You know why, Chelsea? Because it doesn't matter because what they wanted to get to was the reversal of the season six fight. Yeah. Where now Carrie is Miranda and Miranda is Carrie. Which is is not a bad idea. I actually quite enjoyed this, although unlike the original Carrie-Miranda fight that this scene references, the situation isn't as dire. Like, Miranda is not moving to L.A. She's spending three months in L.A. It's not like she's refusing to go to Paris with Carrie. She's just like, yeah, I got to figure out my flight. Yeah, and she makes a point that it is important for her to be with her friend when she scatters the ashes of her husband, but it's also important to be at Chase taping. This is also when we learn that Chase taping is only a day, which leads us to believe that Che is shooting a pilot for a multicam sitcom. Well, it's also like unfair of Carrie to plan a vacation without telling Miranda and then get mad at her for not being available. I gagged when I heard the line, what are you going to do in LA all day? Sit in an audience and laugh, which is a callback to a much funnier line, which is what are you going to do in Paris? Eat croissant. Croissant. But this made me feel crazy because there's 10,000 ways that you could make this line really land in the way that the croissant line did. It's like, what are you going to do in L.A.? Drink collagen smoothies all day? Like, what are you going to do in L.A.? Take selfies in front of the Paul Smith wall? Like, there's a million (laughs) jokes, like actual jokes. Sit in an audience and laugh is not a joke. I would agree with you. Anyway. Miranda levels at Carrie. She goes, am I not allowed to change a little bit or a lot or change back again if I feel like it? I really loved that, actually. Yeah. I I liked, yeah. She's like, do I follow my own rigid rules until the day I die? I mean, no. You know, this this is a good reminder to all of us that we should be conscious of the confines that we create for ourselves in our lives and adhere to. Carrie goes, why do you need my approval? And Miranda goes, because you're not anyone. And like, yes, it's nice to have the approval of your friends. But when and if you choose to blow up your life in the way that Miranda does, like you have to be okay with people not being okay with your choices. Like even your friends, even your family. (sighs) Yeah, but I think that everyone is being way too harsh to Miranda and I have thought that from the beginning of this from the first time that Carrie saw you know Miranda getting fingered or whatever well yeah that that reaction was kind of out of bounds well I think that Miranda's pivot is supposed to be received as more inspirational than it is and we can't receive it as inspirational because we're nervous about Che who's obviously a fuck boy we're sad about Steve etc etc Yeah, I mean, Michael Patrick King's point was their take at the idea stage of what to do with Miranda was, what if you took the most in-control character and made them out of control? And that's a really good pitch. 
Yeah. However, that's not what's on screen because, like, chill, literally our favorite genre of film is women of a certain age out of fucking control. Yes, it is. It actually is. So Hari, a.k.a. Rabbi Jen, comes in, a true breath of fresh air. And Hari being in the show reminds me that the Sex and the City franchise was once rooted in comedy. And I think that she has one of the strongest monologues of this entire season. I thought you were going to say, I do also think she has one of the best comedic beats, which is the paper towel dispenser, <laughs> which we've all experienced. I've yet to see. I mean, it feels like a comedy from a different show, like Curb Your Enthusiasm, but like, I love it. Yeah, no, it's great. It's fun to see her do this read of Carrie and Miranda, which is very much mimicking what the audience is thinking, right? Yeah. It also is the closest thing to, like, we got a call this week where someone made the very valid point that there is a real lack of therapy on this show. Rock hasn't gotten therapy. Carrie hasn't gotten therapy. Miranda hasn't gotten therapy. Like, you know, there's a lack of therapy. And this was the closest thing to therapy that we've seen. And it was um, healing. And then Charlotte finally gets bat mitzvahed. And I say finally because I've put into this series a subplot that we never saw where Charlotte always wanted to have a bat mitzvah but never got to because she converted later in life. Exactly. It was pretty cute. It was super cute, but how difficult is it to just have a line in that diner scene in the beginning where it's like, oh, planting rocks, they mitzvah makes me long for something. I know I, you know, I know I converted, but... Yeah. No, I, I hear you. Yeah, and then we have that great moment... Well, I guess it's a great moment. Charlotte's reaction to Miranda being like, I'm in love. I'm going to Los Angeles. And she's like, great. Yeah. It's not a great moment because that's when Carrie resents. Disinvites her from Paris. <laughs> to which Charlotte very correctly points at Miranda and says, you owe me a trip to Paris. I mean, yeah, Carrie was very depressed the last time that she was in Paris and she didn't have a dead husband then. So it doesn't seem like the best idea for me, but I totally get it. We get a brief interlude where Brady and Miranda are heading off to the airport. And guess cute. what? Pretty cute. And guess what? She dyed her hair back. She's found herself. And herself has red hair again? This happened in the first Sex and the City film, right? Like Carrie dyed her hair and then she found herself and the hair went back. You know, it's, it's just sometimes you need to cement that you're in a new era of your life with a hairstyle change it's just a fact well as Miranda does say why can't I change and then change back again yeah exactly so now we have Carrie in Paris Carrie on the bridge in Valentino Couture it's gorgeous I loved this because it felt really amped up and dramatic and gorgeous and I think that after the last few episodes we needed major drama and it did pull at my heartstrings. Like, we love Carrie. Of course. But what are the logistics of getting his ashes to Paris? Like, okay, did... you are nitpicking. <laughs> That's not nitpicking. I'm just having a fun conversation with you of like, did do you think she brought the box there? Do you think she put the ashes in the Eiffel Tower bag before leaving New York? Because let's be honest, you would want to put that in a Ziploc first. I know it's not as Yeah, I love that she put it straight into the Timmy Woods Eiffel Tower bag. It's like, well, there always will be a part of him in the lining of this bag. A few people commented that, like, you can't just, like, possess ashes in France. Like, and you can't just scatter them wherever you want. Like, it's literally illegal. So she is technically breaking the law, is what I'm saying. (laughs) 
So she texts Samantha because, as we know, Samantha's in London, and that's just a hop, skip, and a well, train you pre- ride. You away. predicted this, or we discussed the possibility of this because we always knew that she was going to Paris, and because Samantha is in London, this seemed like a natural thing. Although, of course, this reunion did happen off screen. I sent you a TikTok of a guy that was, again, treating it like it's a Marvel film or something. This basically confirms Kim Cattrall is coming back. It's like, no, it happened off screen. Yeah, they already skipped over it. Yeah, Michael Patrick King did an interview where he's like, I don't know what they talked about, but it happened. Yeah. But yes, they brought her back to New York. So this meeting happened already. And then we go to Carrie's podcast. Did you think it's odd that the first time we see Carrie dispensing advice to a caller, she says, I don't know? She's showing vulnerability. It is interesting that it is a call-in show and not a suicide prevention hotline. (laughs) Why? What? Well, I mean, just the tone of the caller. I was like, is this girl okay? Like, this seems like someone that was like, not just grieving, but actively in crisis. First, Carrie says, tells her, I don't know what you should do about her breakup. And then Carrie's reading on life is, the further I go in it, it doesn't make sense, which I think is a pretty accurate description of the first season of And Just Like That. Right. But then she's like, you know, if you have a few friends, you might not want to kill yourself and life goes on. Well, I'm, I was looking at you directly in the eyes when you said that. And it's like, yeah, if you've got a few friends, you get a podcast, you talk some shit, life doesn't seem as meaningless. Yeah. Thank God she has her own podcast. We need to celebrate this, Lauren. I mean, sure, we could have started here, but let's just put that aside. We now have a framework where there can be a voiceover. So the podcast is called Sex in the City? Yes. I'm Carrie Bradshaw, and this is Sex in the City. That gave me shivers. We missed it the first time because we were talking over it when we actually watched this episode, but it really, really got me the second time. And I think that that was a great and very impactful way to end this episode or end the series. So the series is still going to be called in just like that because I'm pretty sure it's going to get a second season. And just within the show and just like that is a podcast called Sex in the City. Why not? Although people did call into the hotline and say like, it's weird that the book isn't called in just like that. And just like that, my husband died. <laughs> The producer kisses her, which, thank God, this hot-ass producer we've seen since the first episode, you know, encouraging Carrie, supporting her, giving her the eyes. He's smoking. Every Carrie boyfriend has had something to them, but, like, this is, I feel like, the first objectively hot person that Carrie has potentially been No, big is hot. But this is a different, like, this guy is very attractive. Yeah, no, he's very hot. And you notice they're kissing in that elevator that's like 200 floors or whatever. So they could fully, like, fuck before they get down to the ground floor if they wanted to. When we watched the season finale together for the first time, you were talking through it and it was like, you know, she goes in just like that. And then the show ends and you were like, anyway, and it took a couple seconds. You went, what? That's the end just like that? Yeah. I mean, we got half of an end just like that. Again, I am behind with listening to the Writer's Room podcast and I would really like to hear the thought process, the thought process behind the end just like that. But that said, I think it did work. It did leave me hanging 
I did feel like the call got dropped or something and I missed the end just like that. Do you think that that is their version of the Sopranos series finale <laughs> where you're like, wait, hold on, hold on. I, I think I think my <laughs> HBO Max app shorted out. <laughs> so before we give our final thoughts, I thought it might be fun to talk to someone that was in the finale. Possibly the best part of the finale. The fun, Definitely the funniest part of the finale. Miss Hari Neff, a.k.a. Rabbi Jen. So Hari, we're so thrilled to have you here. We've actually known each other for years because before you were a famous actress and model, you were my intern back in the day. And may I say one of the best I've ever had. Thank you. I really loved that job. Um, I was a Tumblr girl messing around trying to find old scams and stuff. And then I came and worked for someone like you, who is an even bigger nerd than I was. And so (laughs) I remember the pride I felt when I could like correctly ID a model in some random editorial from 2001. You gave me that. So thank you. Oh, you're you're welcome. I mean, you were still in college then, but you were very much a burgeoning it girl at the time. And I can't help but be incredibly proud of you. I mean, I always thought you had something. And uh, with some people, you can just tell, you know, but you've always been a very carry identified person. You're one of a handful of women in New York that I think is a very close modern approximation of Carrie. So like, can you tell where she ends and you begin? Like, can you tell like what parts of your personality were already like her and which ones were formed by her? First of all, thank you. I feel <laughs> like identifying as a Carrie or being a Carrie or being identified as a Carrie has gotten kind of a bad rap and everyone's like, no, actually I'm a Charlotte. Actually I'm a Miranda, but I think Carrie Pride is, um, it's good to have. I don't know if I identify as one anymore, but I feel like maybe I'm so close to it that I can't see the obvious. Um, It was always Carrie's um, negotiation between her internal life and her external life that was interesting to me. Carrie was always thinking one thing and doing another and then analyzing it. And I think that that was the most compelling in the first three seasons when she was still partying and like hooking, like making out with people in public and wearing tiny little dresses. It sort of evolved from there, but she was super impulsive in those first couple seasons and very it's like happy-go-lucky but there was almost a darker edge to it because this shadow of romantic promise and the house and the babies and the marriage was dangling and um I guess that's kind of how I've always responded to my danglers just by um smoking partying every night and having a lot of sex (laughs) it's true i mean early series carrie had more of a mary gate skill quality to it than uh, (laughs) than where the character evolved to so you originally read for the part of carrie's book agent which is crazy because you seem like a natural choice for lizette so uh did you audition remotely were you in the room with uh, our beloved daddy mpk what was the process like is lizette her book editor no. no, Lizette's the it girl that lives downstairs from Carrie. Oh, yeah. Oh, like I would amazing. think you would have read for that if you were to ask me, like, which part did Hari Neff read for? 
they really didn't tell you that much about the part. I mean, it was pretty obvious to me that I was sort of revisiting the Amy Sedaris type of character talking to, you know, this person from this show about the book. And I actually trolled them because they gave me dummy sides with different names. And it was obviously Carrie talking to her book editor. And I actually (laughs) used my copy of Sex and the City by Candace Bushnell as a prop and just changed the, the name to Carrie in the audition because it was obvious to me. And I was like... I'm not playing with you guys. I know what's going on here. And they made me tape it again with the dummy side names. They would not (laughs) accept my tape. They would not accept my troll. And I had to like (laughs) run home, text a friend. Oh my God, they rejected the tape. And the second tape I think was, sometimes it just ends up being better than the first tape because you don't have any time to second guess yourself. Um, But I didn't get that part. And um, there were rumors and percolations from my team, like maybe this isn't over. And then finally, I just get a text from my agent. Um, They're writing this role for you. We don't know what it is yet, but they've given us dates. And eventually I found out it was the rabbi. Next thing you know, I'm at the table read and it all just felt so crazy, like walking in a dream the whole time. I I could not believe that I had bridged that because I've spent so long in that universe. <laughs> I love it. Also, that like the Benai Mitzvah scene must have been a trip, right? Like that was giving <laughs> that was like some like Dylan's candy bar meets Fellini <laughs> vibes. This is really funny because it was my second time playing a rabbi this year. I also play <laughs> a rabbi. And so it was just another day on set as a rabbi, honestly. I had been on that bima giving warmth, healing power to kunolam. That's Hebrew <laughs> for to heal the world. <laughs> but, you know, of course you have to differentiate one rabbi from another rabbi. And Rabbi Jen was definitely a stronger personality than the other rabbi. And um... <laughs> well, we need a Rabbi Jen spinoff and we, we need it now. Yeah. Well, I was going to say... Rabbi Jen is like giving some looks. So what was the fitting with Molly and and Danny like? You know, did you have input on what Rabbi Jen's style should be? And be honest, did you snoop through Carrie's clothing rack? Oh, for sure. That was like the first thing I did. I mean, I knew that the rack was for me. And first of all... It was very diverse. There were many directions it could have gone. I, the way that MPK describes Rabbi Jen originally in the script is in charge. So what does that translate to in a look? There were a lot of business casual options on the rack, like tailoring and jackets, suiting. There, there was kind of like a professional sort of direction that it could have gone in. But there was also these all of these beautiful vintage dresses and... They let me gravitate and pick, and I kind of got to do that single-handedly. They just sort of allowed me to pick, and they took pictures of everything. Um, I, of course, wanted to look as F-A-B fab as I possibly could (laughs) on and just like that. So, you know, I was picking the feathers. I was picking the satins. I was picking the prints, and they had an accessory for everything, a bag, an earring that they would just choose on the fly, a belt, a shoe. Of course, 
you know, I have a bigger foot. I'm a 42. There wasn't like a huge selection of shoes as there might have been for somebody with a slightly daintier foot. But I, I definitely actually found myself as if in a fugue state within like the carry shoe section. I was like, oh, like, are these my size? They're like, no, get out of there. <laughs> What do you think you're doing? Um, but the shoes that I wore in that second look for the They Mitzvah, um, those were actually SJP collection. Oh, love that. Ooh. Love an SJP collection pump. I would love to hear your thoughts on the reboot. What about this has captivated your attention? Are you as obsessed with Che Diaz as we are? Like, what's, <laughs> what are, what's your read? I had a thought. <laughs> um... I had a thought at the end of the finale, I felt that the whole season was falling into a place that reminded me of um, Twin Peaks, The Return. Okay, you're not the first person that has brought this up to us, which I love. (laughs) I don't know if this was intentional, but I feel like and just like that took this beloved franchise and completely destabilized everything we thought we were going to get from it. It took the characters, except for Charlotte, really, so far away from where we knew them, where we like them, where we want them. You know, Carrie without the column, Miranda with gray hair, you know, complacent. like And alcoholism. <laughs> like, I, I welcome all of the shifts in these women's lives. And side note, if Sex and the City was... A reflection of those times I do wholeheartedly believe that and just like that is a reflection of our times which is why I like it it's just a different time and you don't get to vibe out on nostalgia anyway back to the point when they had the cut to Miranda with the red hair and when Carrie looked into the camera and said this is sex in the city that was such a death drop to me because it was as if the show was like we have led you through the desert we have led you through this at times, difficult journey where you are just willing these characters to get back to themselves and who they are and what we love them for. And then in those final instances, it's like, bam, we're back. This was Sex in the City the whole time. They're like, we've led you through the Saw fun house. Now here we are back at Sex in the City. Yeah, I mean, the season definitely ends in the place that maybe it should have began. And I do think there's a lesson to be learned about our collective obsession with nostalgia. I don't think that was the creator's intention, but that's definitely watching it, the feeling that you get. (laughs) And now, I mean, Carrie has been really depressed for the whole season. What direction would you like her life to go in? Oh, ho phase. Ho phase. (laughs) I will say that I really missed the sex. And I thought that Miranda and Chase's sex scene was hot. I thought it was (laughs) hot. And I wanted more. And I love that we had Seema in her bag dating. And I loved that we had Charlotte dealing with her man and her marriage on the bathroom floor like that was all very fab to me and I wanted more of that and obviously Carrie wasn't going to have sex in the city in the wake of mourning her husband not who she is not who we want her to be but now that she's I I would be really curious to see what a show that graphically tastefully intelligently explores the sex lives and sexual appetites and activities of 
you know, not quote unquote, like women of a certain age, but like these characters at this time, because that is something I love so much about the original. Are you still a Carrie or are you more of a Lizette now? Like where have you evolved? (laughs) Well, I was watching the final episode. I turned inadvertently to my friend Nash, who I was watching it with, and I was just like, Charlotte's the best character. It was after all the Michigas in the bathroom with Carrie and Miranda and like, these are my feelings about your feelings and my feelings about your life. And Miranda gives her news to Charlotte and Charlotte just goes, that's, that's amazing. Like she's like, just, just happy, just happy for the moves that are being made. And I really feel like in the wake of the girl bossification of the American woman, you know, all we did to find our dignity during the Trump era. I, I kind of feel myself arriving more at a Charlotte and just wanting friends and family and love. And like, I don't think I would ever stop working the way she did, but Charlotte just has morality and principle and priorities. And she always has, and maybe she's changed the least and who knows whether that's here or there, but she seems the least clouded as a character by her own ego and her own insecurities. And I'm not saying that that's who I am, (laughs) certainly not, Mm -hmm. but I aspire to be more Um, (laughs) Charlotte-like. But but I also want to come back to Che Diaz. I have some shit to say about... (laughs) Please. I know I shouldn't be looking, but I've seen a lot of people on Twitter being kind of mean about Che Diaz and dragging my ass into it you know, kind of bundling, like, my character vis-a-vis Che Diaz, you know, I guess it's the two um, trans characters are getting compared, and my character has gotten, I think, a more unilaterally, like, positive fan reaction than Che's has, and people are like, oh, like, switch out Che Diaz for Rabbi Jen. And it's like, that's not how this works, bitch. Like, (laughs) do not create that dynamic. First of all, Sada is an amazing actor and an amazing performer. And they are cool and they are kind and they are around. And I like them. And I thought that they were charismatic and cool on this season. That also being said... I think the character of Che Diaz is an asshole. <laughs> yes. As we've noted on the podcast, Che is a fuckboy. It doesn't matter how they identify. They're behaving like a fuckboy. It's mixed signals. It's interesting to me and compelling and a little dangerous, I think, because we are able to view or we are invited to view a lot of the things that we tore our hems over about Mr. Big, you know, the inability to commit and the whims and the double standards and ambushing people with huge life news. We hated when Mr. Big did that and we're hating when Che Diaz does it now. But Che, I think, is doing a lot of it and it's implied that they're doing a lot of it through this lens of queer sociality and non-monogamy and kind of these um, kind of sacred principles of queer dating life that um, I think are essential to the queer experience and differentiate our experience from the romantic and dating lives of straight people. But I feel like as a community, not the asas, but yeah, like as a community, we don't talk enough about how difficult it is to practice non-monogamy and practice that putting aside of ego and 
eschewing labels because we're raised with a straight mentality. And so to watch Miranda, who's been a straight woman her whole life, have to navigate this terrain, I thought that was really interesting. You know, having been a girlfriend to a boyfriend her whole life, now dealing with, um, you know, a queer partner, a non-binary person. I think there are conversations it should open up within the community about how we deal with the tightrope of queer dating and queer non-monogamy and the things that we do that straight people don't really do because it's not in the rule book. It's everywhere. It's my friend group. It's all of us. But And we all kind of pretend like, oh, this is fine. Like, I'm going on vacation with my ex and my current girlfriend who, like, stole me from her or whatever. Like, you know, <laughs> sure. we all kind of pretend that it's chill. And maybe it is chill. And from a utopian point of view, like, it ought to be chill because... What's the other, what's the alternative doing for us? But it's hard to take the ego out. And I really enjoyed watching Miranda kind of do that abacus, put those dots together. And Che has every right to be a fuck person <laughs> as, you know, all of the next Donald Trumps out there sitting in the back of the club puffing their cigars. Okay, like, I am pro queer assholes and trans assholes on television because we don't have enough of them and <laughs> they are everywhere. So <laughs> those are my thoughts. No, it's true. It is interesting that it's taken this long for them to really get into open relationships. I mean, obviously there was that reveal of Stanford and Anthony in Sex in the City too, but that wasn't really flushed out that much. You know, it's true. It, it is all fascinating. And I am, I'm very interested to see uh, where this goes. So Hari, thank you so much for being here with us. If we get a season two and something tells me we are going to get a season two, we hope that Rabbi Jen makes another <laughs> pivotal appearance during a Carrie Miranda showdown. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's been lovely talking to you as always. Thank you so much for gracing us with your presence. Thank you for having me. This has been such a lovely week. I haven't slept in like four days, so... <laughs> Thank you for having me, and um, I'm loving this full circle moment for us, Chelsea. I really am. <laughs> me too, honey. All right, so final thoughts. I mean, I don't really think that we should give our final thoughts in this episode because we're going to paywall that shit. Guess what, guys? We're starting a Patreon. We are, and next week we will be releasing our first Patreon episode, which is a postmortem on the entire first season of And Just Like That. Because I feel like now that I've seen all 10 episodes, I can finally see the forest for the trees. Is that the expression? It is. And also, during the over the course of 10 weeks, we've been made aware that certain cast members and crew members do listen to this podcast. So we have some opinions, if you can believe it, that need to be paywalled. Lauren, they could just subscribe to the Patreon. I'm fine with that. It's like Michael Patrick King gave you $5 a month. Oh my God. Anyway, we're really psyched. And we're also going to come back next week with a normal episode, a non and just like that episode. Yeah, we know that we've gotten so many new listeners. We appreciate all of you, and we hope you continue with us on this journey of what we usually talk about, which is the latest and greatest in pop culture and fashion. And we were worried we had nothing to talk about, but oh boy. But then we saw Kim Kardashian's Instagram story. God knows by the time that Lauren edits this episode and puts it up, what more will have happened. But if you hate the Kardashians, we also talk about other things, so... Something to keep in mind. 
And we have something else to announce, which is that we've finally figured out what to call our fans. We've gotten some amazing calls on the hotline this week. And I think the best suggestion that we've gotten is fuckettes. Which would be a reference to Margaret Cho's infamous saying, calling? Her, I don't know if it's not a catchphrase. It's her signature word. (laughs) Her favorite punctuation of a sentence. Yeah, I think fuckette is a great word, not for Sex and the City fans in general, but for people who are demented enough to listen to this podcast regularly. So with that, thank you, fuckettes. (laughs) This is going to end so badly. It's been real. This is like when we said goodbye, sluts, and people started calling us sluts on the hotline. (laughs) Hi, fuckettes. Whatever. It's great. Whatever. All right. See you guys next week. Bye. Bye.